Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck-a-nots? What the fuck They keep coming. If you want to send them, go ahead and send them. It's always nice to hear from you. I try to read all your emails, as you know. This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is the podcast that people are listening to, the groovy one. Why did I just say that? I don't even know why I just said that. I'm in a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia, folks. I'm in the home of Coca-Cola. I am in the home of CNN. I am in the cradle of the South. Is that what you call it? The cradle of the South? The cradle of the confederacy at one time i have no idea my history is rusty but uh, there was a time where i judged the south i still judge of course i judge we all judge it's part of the fun of being alive is struggling with our judgments of things and finding out we're wrong most of the time but i do uh i do come here quite frequently and there was a time and i i've once said that uh we've all made fun of the south and and i have gotten emails from you guys saying that I'm a little hard on the South. But I have to be honest with you, I was just stereotyping. I was being uh, narrow-minded in a sense. I was doing something for effect because I've met nothing but nice people uh, in my trips to uh, to Georgia. And tonight, uh, I got two shows at the Laughing Skull Lounge. I've done a couple already. Uh, what the fuckers are coming out. They're, they're introducing themselves. We're hanging out a bit. It's, it's been great fun. I, I, still, I still will stand by my statement that there is an ignorance in the American South that runs so deep it actually has integrity. I will stand by that, but that does not diminish the fact that there are a lot of great people in this town, a lot of open-minded people, and a lot of what-the-fuckers, and, and I'm glad you came out. I also want to say, uh, heads up, if you have not seen the Entertainment Weekly blurb, we are on the must list. Very exciting. Don't know how that happened, but uh, I'm grateful for it. Uh, it was a nice little thing uh, to happen. Uh, one other, do I have one other thing I wanted to say? I know I had something else on my mind that I wanted to thank you people for or say something positive about. Oh, I did the Now Show in England. Now, I didn't know that was a big deal, but it's a weekly comedy show on the BBC. I did jokes that some of you might have heard before, but it was pretty exciting to be at the BBC. All in all, it was very exciting to be in England and not be paralyzed with fear about being abroad or being you know, eight hours ahead of my hometown or being around a culture that is dif- different than mine. I, I, I don't know where that fear is going, but I have to say it's, a, it's high time that it left, and it makes me happy that it has. London is a great city. I had a great time there. It's a real city. It's an international city. It's a culturally diverse city. There's a lot of exciting stuff there. I ate good food. I went shopping. I met interesting people. The audiences were spectacular. And I'm starting to realize that comedy is becoming truly an international business. That not unlike when I was in Ireland or or, or when I travel anywhere to Glasgow or even to Australia, that because of just the ability of, of the internet and the ability of technology and the ability of, uh, uh, of travel that it really is an international business. Doing a gig in London is no different than me flying to Georgia. It's, it's really come to that, that Americans and, and I wish more British guys would come here. I think it's a little more difficult for them. I can't quite figure out why. 
I think that there's only certain types of British acts that can make it in America for reasons that I'm not sure of. They seem to have to have a lot of push and they really have to reach out to the Anglophile audience. So I have to be honest, I've never been a huge British comedy guy. Yeah, I respect Monty Python. Uh, I respect Benny Hill. Of course, who doesn't respect Benny Hill? I mean, Benny Hill, huh? Benny Hill? I, I'm being slightly sarcastic, but uh, I, I never knew a lot about British standups. And, and honestly, there wasn't a huge British stand a British standup culture uh, at the same time as there was in America. I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of British guys and and they pretty much say that that standup was an, an American art form, which which I appreciate. But I think there was a time where British comedy was just uh, really goofy shit and guys in dresses. And quite honestly, I, I condescended to, to British comedy a bit because I just didn't know, I didn't know where to, to start. I didn't know where to get into it. I didn't know where the entry level was. And I still don't. And I just, I wanted to feel like, I wanted to see whether or not we shared something. That of course we do. You know, in my, in, in my whole experience of, of dealing with the British people when I, when I perform for them, not all of them, not you know, collectively, but the people that came to my shows, is that I don't know what I was thinking. Just because they speak in that accent does not mean they're better than us. And that was my assumption, that because of that accent, they must be judging me. It's ridiculous. I mean, they are just as self-hating as we are. Uh, they invented certain things. They invented us on some level. They invented America in, in some respects. But obviously their empire crumbled long before ours, so their self-esteem is not in the best of shape and hasn't been for decades. So they, they even have a jump on us in terms of the whole empire collapsing thing. So we had a lot more in common than I ever would have imagined, and it didn't take that long for me to find it uh, within them. And I had uh, a very satisfying shows there. And I wanted to connect with some of these British comics to see if we had the same things in common that I have with American comics. Is the British comic mind or disposition similar to that of, of, of the performers I know here? And of course it is. So when I went to the UK, I wanted to interview some guys. I, I talked to my friend Brendan Burns, who's been on this show before. Australian guy, works in London a great deal. He recommended that I talk to Adam Bloom, uh, a working comic in the UK, and also he said that uh, you know, him and I should have a conversation because it would be an interesting conversation because we're both very intense uh, and we're both uh, uh, very frenetic or, or, or something. So I sought out Adam Bloom and I had a conversation with him. And then I wanted to talk to Harry Deansway. Harry Deansway is a guy that runs a magazine there, the editor and publisher, I guess you would say, of The Fix magazine, which is a UK comedy magazine it used to be a regular, you know, a hard or a paper or what do you call it? A real magazine. Now it's an online magazine, but he's sort of an arbiter of of alt comedy taste uh, and comedy in general in the UK. I thought I'd talk to him, which I did. And I also talked to Tim Key, who is the uh, the new golden boy of, uh, of British comedy. Uh, uh, he's sort of an eccentric stand up performer who does uh, his angle is uh, is poetry or reading poetry that he has written. He's a quirky, odd act who I was actually in Kilkenny with, and I did not get to see him in Kilkenny. But he does. Uh, he did have a hard time in Kilkenny, as, and as all of you know, so did I. So we ended up talking about that a bit. And I talked to Reggie Watts. Now, I, I, I know a lot of you, you might know Reggie. Maybe you don't. He's an interesting performer. He's a musical act for the most part, but he does stand up. He's a singular performer and he was in the UK at the same time I was. So I thought that maybe I would you know, chat with him about what it's like to perform abroad. And obviously music is, is significantly different than stand up. 
in a lot of ways, but he does a comedic musical uh, performance and he's a sweet guy and he's a smart guy and his, his act is very original. And he was fucking hanging out with Brian Eno. Are you kidding me? Brian Eno, he, Reggie Watts was hanging out with Brian Eno. Brian Eno was, is great. Brian Eno changed my life. I mean, when I first heard Brian Eno, it just completely changed my mind about what music could be. And over the years, he's done such amazing, beautiful stuff. He did invent, you know, originally invent a type of music that, uh, you know, could be considered annoying now because of what people have done to it. I think he was really one of the first people to do that sort of layered, synthesized build to nothing that you hear in, uh, you know, yoga studios or, or uh, fancy spas. But I've been listening to music a little deeper, a little more intensely, because I'm starting to realize, as I said to you, that that joy is hard to come by for me, and I'm starting to get old, and I'm starting to realize that maybe I have to reach out and find it and appreciate it and not be afraid to do that. I was on the plane coming back from London, and I was watching movies, you know, on the on the plane. They had a, a film library of classics. I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I was just elated it's such a funny sweet movie with such great scenes and i realized there are things that make me feel good in life why don't i do them why don't i do more of them why don't i revisit certain things certain beautiful things that i have liked in my life why don't i take a trip somewhere that makes me happy why do i got to put things off just because ah it's a pain in the ass i gotta you know order a thing and then go to a place i gotta pick it up at the other thing well it's just I'm, i'm done with that it's time to engage i don't have much time left who knows how much time any of us have left? And I just bought a book by Greil Marcus, who wrote Lipstick Traces and Mystery Train. I guess you would call him a music critic, but he's, he's more of a cultural critic, and he uses music as his, as his portal uh, into uh, assessing history and art and time and everything else. He's sort of a lyrical, poetic writer, and he's got a new book called Listening to Van Morrison. Now, I came to the Van Morrison uh, buffet late, I always found Van Morrison a bit annoying, and I think I trivialized him or put him into a box in my head. I think he always made me uncomfortable, and I should have sought that out uh, more than push it away. And after reading a review by Lester Bangs of Astral Weeks, I got into Astral Weeks, and I just it was mind-blowing to me. And I'm a huge fan of TB Sheets, and I don't know the full Van Morrison catalog but i bought this book because it looked interesting it's basically meditations it's basically pieces that that grill marcus has put together uh over you know assessing and interacting with the entire scope of van morrison's career and if you listen to the music while you read the the pieces it's it's spectacular uh and and it, it just made me realize that there is depth to anything that we decide what the depth is that either it exists or it doesn't exist, but in order to navigate that depth, you have to engage in it and you have to go the distance with it. That active listening or that active living or active seeing and, and, and creating a life for a piece of art or for something that moves you is something that you do. It's something that you put into context in your life or you see in the history of, of, of what's outside of you. It's up to you. Either you can feed or you can appreciate as deep as you want whatever it is that moves you. Feed on it or love it. So your last name's Dean's Way, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Harry Dean's Way. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Now you you 
are sort of a, an arbiter of taste and, and you are sort of a, an entrepreneur and, and a, a guy who is, who is trying to define something, to find a, 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 a define a, a niche within the British comedy community with your what is now an online magazine, The Fix. And this was a, uh, a hard copy magazine for a while. And what was the intention of, of, of putting that out initially? Well, the initial intention was I felt um, I used to be a stand-up comedian. That's what I started off doing and filmmaker. Mm -hmm. That was like my primary interest. And um, I found that there were, I was seeing really sort of talented other comedians who were doing gigs, you know, to not, not bad crowds, doing really well, you know, getting big laughs. Yeah. And then that wasn't translating to success on TV or or more mainstream success. Yeah, and right. um, so I was wondering, so how come it's working where, you know, it works on this level in the comedy club where it's just an audience and a comedian and they're laughing and it's going well, but that isn't progressing right. to the next level. Right. And then I realized that it was because there was no nothing behind these comedians that right, there had, was no community yeah there was no community right whereas so if they went to a tv person they're like well who, who are your fans and all they can say is well i did i've been doing a few gigs and they've been going really well you know yeah yeah whereas the idea behind the magazine was to build a fan base for a, this type of comedian and then when they go to see tv film people they've got something behind them well you they know, can bring your I'm, magazine yeah they can say look i'm in the fix this and, has however many thousand readers and uh you know and and what it was a reaction against you know i have to assume that you don't have anything against mainstream comedy but you just felt that it no, was not, too yeah too closed yeah i'm not a snob you know no. i pre i appreciate it it's yeah. not it's not for, you know some mainstream comedy that's great you know yeah. if it makes you laugh but it's not it's not what floats my boat, as I say. Yeah. So, but as you're seeing now, part of your work is, is, is seeing fruition in that many of these comics that may not have been mainstream at a different time are now becoming mainstream. And, and that's just by virtue of the fact that you created a market or exactly. you helped create a market. Yeah. Like, I mean, let's use Stuart Lee as an example. Because yeah, I know he, he's interviewed yeah. on this podcast. Um, I, he, was, he was about to give it all. Well, he had given it. Yeah, he's been good for four years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was sort of, he just sort of had come back into it as the fix had started. Yeah. And we, we put him on the cover almost like straight away. Yeah. And um, I'm sure, not sure how much of an effect it had, but it, all of a sudden, you know, he it, people in TV were seeing him on the cover of a magazine again. His, you know, he was getting back into comedy. And I yeah. think it, you know, it really helped put him back in people's minds. Right. Know? Yeah. So, uh, so on that level, that's how that worked. Yeah. How can people find the the fix? Uh, www.thefixonline.com. Yeah. Because I just find that a lot of Americans, and, and I'm including this, I, I just don't know. You know, we seem to be sort of uh, insulated over there. That you know, we don't really think that you know comedy exists like we know it elsewhere, or that you know it has the same relevance. But but certainly, there's a vibrant community here. Oh, it's really it's like it's never been more vibrant now than it has been for 20 years. And do you think that's because of things like the fix and and because people are able to find their own audiences now? Absolutely. Uh the internet is completely f the reason for that. All of a sudden, you know, you don't need a a manager or TV to get a fan base. Right, you just need a ridiculous video. Yeah, or whatever, yeah. To get someone's interest. Yeah, you can control and the medium of communication yourself. Do you find that people here have had success with that? Starting to, yeah. I mean, I think you're still 
fighting laziness of creative people you know a lot of them are lazy yeah that's yeah. uh yeah that's that's part of the breed yeah the more talented the more uh that they just refuse to engage yeah exactly and do the work yeah yeah, yeah. So, so that's i mean the internet hasn't alleviated that problem so what do you think of in edinburgh then you know you're going up there and what you know i mean i had a miserable experience a lot of people do i i honestly i don't like it up there it's too much comedy yeah it's too much too many yeah. shows on yeah you know like this year 906 comedy shows oh, how many man. of those people are going to get a tv show out of it well is that really the i mean do you, i see this is the other thing about about this idea that you know when you say there's no mainstream and yet the goal is still to become mainstream mm. i mean you know that's what we're talking about see you know so it's sort of this weird thing is that you know as opposed to seeing comedy uh, that we're talking about as alternative, you know, what we're really talking about in, in the terms we're talking about it is, is uh, a redefinition of the industry itself that, you know, we're just calling it this because this is how your generation is going to rise through the ranks and, and become show business. Yeah. All right. So, so then, you know, what is real alternative comedy? Are there still people around that, you know, will not ever be mainstream yet are, are spectacular? Yeah, well, Stuart Lee is a prime example of that. He's successful. He's not now, mainstream by any, right. any stretch of the imagination. Right. But he earns a comfortable living out of the work for the work he does. And he can't ask for any more than that. You know, he writes for newspapers. He's got his own TV show. He can do tours and make money and make a nice living out of it without having to, you know, sell out his principles. Right. So the drive is really to find your people. Your niche audience. It's all about, for me, for... Since I've started doing the fix, it's about having a niche audience. The number, the figure I have in my head that I'd like to reach is like maybe a hundred thousand. And if you can, if they buy into your stuff, a hundred thousand people. That's sure. Yeah. If you can get them to pay something, yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. I, I find that you can find a hundred thousand yeah. people, but uh, they're much more likely to hang around if they don't have to pay anything. Yeah, that's true. But um, I think it's the key is to get them to pay for it. So okay. how are you going to do that? <laughs> Well, that's the big question, isn't it? <laughs> well, what do you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's mock. It's you know, it's making the giving them something that's worth paying for. My my um, philosophy for the magazine has always been: that if someone's funny, write something funny, and if someone reads it and goes, "That's funny," then they'll come and see you, rather than my opinion on whether someone's funny. How about here's here's me. This is what I'm. I'm funny. Come and see me. Right. You know? That's yeah. always been my philosophy. Yeah. Let, let's showcase the act for what they can do. So you have them actually write stuff. Yeah. It's definitely. It's always been about that. The the develop working with them to write stuff. Oh, that's funny. an interesting approach. Yeah. And that works. Yeah, I think so. I think you know you read a funny article, you laugh, and you're like, oh, that person's funny. Whereas you read one person's opinion on it. I mean, that's relevant. You know, they can get their quotes and everything for their posters out yeah, of it. Yeah. You know, it's useful. Yeah. But I think. The way we do it's much better now let's just talk about like right now in terms of who's working like in in your world so because this like m my show is primarily listened to by an american audience and and as i said i'm guilty of this as well if they were to seek out some british comics that they might not know who they are who would they be i mean tim key is one Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee, of course yep. yeah uh, but some of the younger guys. The younger guys. Uh, Mark Watson? Mark Watson's an interesting guy, actually. Yeah. He's an interesting act. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen him before. Yeah. He's very quick. Yeah. And he seems fairly improvisational. Yeah, he's he's great. I'd check him out, Mark Watson. Uh, newer, sort of really newer acts. Uh, there's a double act again called Cardinal Burns, who are like sketch uh -huh. sort of stuff. Uh -huh. and they've they've uh, got a few viral things online worth checking out. They did... They, 
they work really well on film. Uh-huh. They do a lot of film stuff. Yeah. And they're really good at that. Uh-huh. But then they've also got a live act. What about that dude that used to have the big collar and the glasses? Oh, Harry Hill. Yeah. yeah. He's, that is quintessential English humor. That is like archetypal. Is English. he mainstream? Oh, he's 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 he he is mainstream, but he keeps his sort of. Because uh, he seems odd. Because a lot of people who are British, just by virtue of the fact that they're British, would be alternative acts where I live. Yeah. What What do you attribute the the inability for for a bigger number of British acts to cross over to the states? What do you? What well, do you I think it's the to? same as music. It's just a big job. Yeah. You know, it's a big country. If you want to break it over there, it's a lot of work. So if you're doing well over here, yeah, right. it's hard enough to break here. To go over there and do that, it's, you know, you've got to go over there for a year. Yeah, and then also here, the, because the intimacy of the industry, I mean, if you get on TV, you know, you're in. Yeah. That's, a, that's an amazing gift. You know, in America, you know, everybody gets on TV. Yeah, oh, really? At some point. Hmm. Comics, not comics. Yeah. Very, very little, <laughs> it makes very little difference. Right. That, that, you know, if you, you know, I've had two half hours on Comedy Central, you know, and I'm not a huge act. I mean, if you had two half hours in England, I mean, you'd have a good run for a few years. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. just a much bigger situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's I kinda, interesting. And I can understand. What do you think of Americans that, that move here in general? Well, I, I prefer American comedy to British comedy. But like, but specifically there, I, you know, I don't, without mentioning names. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, it's just, yeah, it's an easier playing field for them, right? Right. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. yeah. But it, but uh, well, Latin America. Right, but the comedy they do in comparison to the comics that you respect who are American, you know, and, and have come up in America, I mean, the, the, the Americans that come here are doing something different, aren't they? Yeah, some are, but then some sort of, like, I think Rich Hall, who I'm an absolute massive fan of. Yeah, you know he's he's got a British sensibility uh-huh. about him. He is American, but right, he's very but he's been deep. here a long time. Yeah, but he's someone who's really integrated into it. I think he's a prime example. Right, but, and then but he was quite successful in America, wasn't he? Right for oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like he was a little. He was a different act when he was an American yeah. comic. You know, he was a little more quirky. I, I think he really found his voice here. Yeah, but then there are people like Reginald Hunter. Who doesn't work at all in the state? No, 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 no. Uh, there was a guy named Dave Foley, I think. Not Dave yeah, Foley. Yeah, Dave Foley. Is yeah. that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember, you know, uh, being in the San Francisco comedy competition with him a million years ago. Yeah. But he never had, a, he never surfaced at all in America. No. Uh, Re- Renee Hicks was another one who was here know. for years. Uh, I know those other two. Like Reggie Hunter's become absolutely massive now. He's huge over here. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And w- w- why? Why? Yeah. I mean, what does he represent in that? He can't, he's not known as like, well, here's this guy from America now. I mean, he's known as, as the America, the British American in a way. Yeah. I but th- what is his material like? Well, it's quite political. Uh-huh. Uh, it's political. Uh, it's, you know. what his, in fact, his whole shtick is uh, an outsider view on Britain. That's his whole angle. Uh-huh. It's like, uh, he'll talk about that. That's what his act is. Well, I've met him and I've yeah. seen him work. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, he, I, I, so I met him in... Uh, in Australia, and he was doing a festival there, and he actually you know, brought me on stage in the middle of his show because he wanted to go get a drink, and it was very peculiar. But uh, he's a very nice guy. Yeah. I just, I just wondered. I always wondered if it was an easier go for them, like to 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 build a career here. Yeah, because Canadians do it as well. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Huh. And and Hicks did it. Yeah. Uh, to some degree. Yep. Huh. Yeah, I think it's a small, it's like a smaller market. Like it's what I was saying. It's the reverse of what I was saying about. But you em- sort of have to take the piss out of your own country to do it, right? A little bit. Yes or no? Huh. Yeah, but it's the reverse, isn't it? It's like 
we're we're you know we're small and you're big, so to go over there, it's it's a bigger. You don't get as much going the other way, do you? Like we were saying, no, you don't no, get it's as much British. There's so many. It, it, America's so huge, and it's such a you know. It, you really have to go. You really have to get a lot of money and publicity behind you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's yeah. why you don't get a lot of British people right. going no, over. But then it's cheaper to come over here. Right. It probably works out as better odds, isn't it? Yeah, well, I hope if so. If you're a new comedian, we'll you see know. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing well. All right, well, I'm doing okay. We'll <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Okay, theater. If I don't, if I don't ruin it myself, <laughs> we'll be all right. Well, Harry cool. Gainsway, thank you for talking to me, and uh, it's uh, the fix online. Dot com? Dot com, yeah. Great. Thanks, man. All right. Cheers, man. Well, you know, I was sort of fragile last night for reasons I can't quite understand. And my guest in my uh, flat, my temporary flat here in uh, London is Tim Key. Do you call yourself a comedian or a poet? Was that rhetorical? No. <laughs> Does that mean was I taking the yeah. piss out of you? No. Yeah. No, no, I mean, did, did you... Um, I, like, I would say uh, the, the doing comedy began before doing poetry. Oh, it did? Oh, okay. So the, poet, the poetry is actually... Uh, the poetry is about four years old. It's a, it's a vehicle, though. You were a comedian. You started as a comedian. You didn't yeah. start as a poet who said, this isn't working out. No, I started as a uh, comedian who said, this isn't working out. <laughs> I, I'm one of those comedians who sort of, uh, to make it work, needs to add some poetry. <laughs> that was it? <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. You know Here I thought it was the other way around. I thought, like, this guy was an honest poet. No. No. Oh, what? You thought it was an honest poet who was suddenly exploited and sort of pushed into the comedy world. Yeah. And doesn't know he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's a better story, isn't it? Yeah, this poor little autistic fellow. <laughs> exactly. His little poems. Yeah. No, it's... Um, uh, that should it's, be the story. Make that the story. Okay, it's that. Yeah. Okay, good, I've, good. I've been a, I've You've been been a poet, poet for about years. 15 years now. <laughs> yeah, good, good. <laughs> That's amazing that you finally found your audience through the comedy venue. That's unusual. Yeah, it is weird because um, I know a lot of people do it the other way around where they sort of um, do their comedy and then land upon like a bit of poetry. Sure. I've yeah. known many people that have gone uh, right into poetry. No, mine's a much more romantic route. I think so. I think because yours has a happy ending. A comedy be comedian becoming a poet is a very sad thing. Isn't it? it? We see it all too often. Aren't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm on the way there myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I sensed you were quite close to doing a poem last night. Yeah, very close. Free form, yeah. free verse. You know, not, not structured. No. Yeah, I think there were poems within I was doing, within what I was doing. I, th I saw that I, through my prism, I sensed the whole thing was basically a poem. I, I, well, I think that's a fine way to look at it. That's certainly what I'm, uh, I'm gunning for, is that universal truth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fucking tired of it. I've... Uh, comedy. Oh, God. Last night it was just exhausting. And you were there last night. But uh, we don't need to talk about me. Because well, I mean, we did meet and kill Kenny, and we both had a bad time there. <laughs> I, I did all right. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. That You're changing your story all around. I thought Kill Kenny was the making of me. Oh, my God. That's Come the first on. time where I really felt completely in control over a, like a large audience. You are lying. I am not going to let this go. I'm not going to let this pass. Yeah. I, from what I understood after our conversation last night, that you, I mean, you were, you were at the end of the Euro rope up there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was certainly close to the end of my rope. Because I, I found it quite fiddly in uh, old Kilkenny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, yeah, there was, um, there was a sufficient amount of things to try and uh, overcome there. So tell me the experience. Well, my experience of uh, Kilkenny was, was a little fiddly. I, um, I did a couple of gigs which, um, which didn't go that well. 
But like, and I, then and then, uh, then I did an, an, another one, yeah. which was a little worse. Yeah. And then I, and then I, then I had a just the, I had the worst gig of my life, and then uh, finished with uh, one slightly worse than that. And that, oh. that was me. And the thing was, is that if they were bad, I mean, those rooms were packed. There were yeah. hundreds of people. Yeah, it was almost sort of, it was, no, it was pretty much out of body experience time. Sort of oh, looking, yeah. See what, you later. Watching myself just, uh, I, I mean, like, it, it was sort of watching myself deteriorate from, uh, I mean, to just being like a guy in front of uh, <laughs> I, I, like, a lonely, I, raw guy. I, I was just sort of watching myself thinking, oh, poor guy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look at him out there. How's he going to win them back? He's just a guy. <laughs> And at the end of it, just sort of, just silence and me sort of beckoning over to myself and saying, come here, come on, oh, let's get out of it. <laughs> I, I know that exact feeling. Yeah. So, but what, now you do a very specific thing. Mm. Like, I, I think that with guys like you who do a very specific thing and it's becoming popular and it's interesting and it's unique, that you can't really, in the middle of it, go, oh, this isn't working out. How about a little dancing? Uh, it's true. Yeah. Uh, it, I kind of um well I mean I I, don't, I do and I don't do a specific thing I mean you know it's still kind of broadly I'd say uh, comedy no but it's and like I, you're you're a character up there in a way I mean uh, I know it's, it's certainly you. a bit certainly a little heightened you know yeah. and, it, and it's kind of uh, over the years like I started doing this about three or four years ago the poetry yeah and that was a character I'd yeah. say like yeah. uh, it was a uh, I was uh, I portrayed a kind of drunken poet uh huh and then uh you know as I've done it more and I've kind of um become more you know, grown into it and stuff, and uh, I did. I, it's much looser and things, and so now I'd say it's it's much closer to being like, you know, a persona. It's like it's just me, my stage persona. Right. So, um, but I mean, the problem I have is like I I kind of I guess, um, one one element of what I've done in the past certainly is uh, it's a bit divisive at the top right when I, right when I start. I don't mind playing that game a little bit where some of the audience, uh. Are loving it, yeah. And some of the audience are, are thinking, "I have no idea what's going on." Right. And some of the audience are, are hating it. Right. So I, I mean, even like in in my Edinburgh show last year, I was kind of doing that right at the top, but then my aim was to kind of get people right back on board pretty quickly. But yes, there's still a little bit of jeopardy in the air, and there's a little bit of uh, you know people a bit fascinated by what's going on. But primarily, I'm doing the same job as you are, you know, trying to make people laugh. Right. Uh, but in Dublin, that was uh, was kind of a mind doing. Like I'd, I'd start off by uh, doing something a bit divisive, uh, often lose maybe ninety percent, and then just I'd, I'd I'd just let it go too far that I couldn't bring it back. Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting when that happens. Oh, it was you, interesting. Yeah, you take, you're rolling the die. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. deeply interesting. <laughs> in, in it not, fascinated me <laughs> in not a good way. It, no. was, uh, it was an unhealthy fascination. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I it's, you know, a it's risk. Like, you know, it's a gamble. A, it's a gamble. Yeah, it's like taking a, you know, taking a, a car off, you know, go, going so far to the left that you're almost off the road, and then swinging it back in, like, and you've just taken it too far, and it just goes over the cliff. Well, what is it? What is it that you do in that first few minutes? Well, what I do is like I, I do these poems, and I start off with a poem that is generally, uh, it's not. I have like a few like poems. I've got loads, and some are funny. Some are they're, they're funny. You know, they're written to be funny. Others are kind of written to be deliberately uh, difficult to put your finger on. They're just a they're just a kind of a nonsense. Troubling. Yeah. Well, they're just like they're just nothing. You know? Well, they don't have any. You mean like so you present one and they don't have any closure and they don't make sense and people are expecting something so you're fucking with their head. 
Yeah. So I just present like usually like a three or four line poem where uh, if if you like it and if you sort of think, oh, I kind of like this guy, this is quite funny, then with that poem, you might ha- your reaction might be, ah, I don't, I don't know why, but I find that kind of quite funny. Yeah. But there's nothing discernibly funny about it. So if your reaction is, well, I don't think that's very funny, then uh, you, you, you can then uh, back that up by analyzing it and thinking, yeah, in fact, that is not funny. I'm, I'm sure of it. I've done the math. Yeah. Yeah. So why is he... St- Right, I'm interested to see what this guy does next because uh, right now I hate this guy. Hate, but that's the thing. Like my my act is, you know, it kind of works. <laughs> it's kind of sure. fine. But that was what I found in Kilkenny. Like uh, there was a lot of people just kind of uh, you, you divided at me. them very effectively into uh, divide, uh, into I I everyone think, not like. I don't think you. I divided them. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I always, yeah, I you always did. Thought it I was, was you yeah. and them. <laughs> It was, yeah, yeah. I divided myself from them <laughs> really early, <laughs> and they just kept stepping back further and further. When I was in Kilkenny, you know, and people who listen to this program, you heard me go through all that because I was fighting to try to get to find material that I could make work there. And can I? I uh, yeah. On a tangent, how did you like? Did you? So you were having like a few problems in Kilkenny. Yeah. So did you find it made it? Because you do your podcasts and you kind of talk a, a lot about it. Yeah. Did that help you? Well, it helps me, but you know, there, there, there is a line where we have to draw where, where this is a, a liability. You know, we can do pretty much whatever we want. We've picked an amazing job, yeah. and one of the bad things about the job is that you may fucking bomb sometimes. It doesn't matter where you are in your career. So, you know, I think as a grown-up comedian, you know, you have to walk away from it and say, "Bad night." But that's the funny thing. Like, what, what really like. Uh, st- Staggered. My, well, what really shook me was the fact that that was definitely uh, uh, my worst gig I've had. Well, like, un- incontrovertibly, like the gigs you right. know, when I just started. Um, because I, there was so many people. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 I think the difference is is that when you have a room of four hundred people, that's what and, I had. Yeah, yeah, and they are they don't get it at the same time. Yeah, it's daunting. And it's horrible feeling because it's you know, bombing for 50 people. Who gives a shit? Or getting three laughs in a room full of, of 75 people or even 125 people. You know, that kind of bomb. That's like a comedy club bomb. But really having 400 people look at you, looking at you going, what the fuck is this guy doing up there? Oh, yeah. that's horrendous. That's, yeah, that's a good... Um that's a good description of what was happening. Right. That's, <laughs> yeah, that was that, it, yeah. It's horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of that. It's because you're but looking you at them, looking some, at you, something expecting when, something. There was no no one heckled. Like, no. I, I think it was like... It's like it was, shock. There it, was assumed, shock. it was assumed that that would not be the done thing, I think. It was assumed that this is not a situation where you heckle the guy. This is not a situation where, you know, this could be a bit of a feeding frenzy and we could, like, duff this guy up a bit. I think it was... They more felt bad for you. If we heckle here, this guy will... Um, that'll be it. This guy, this guy is at his limit. I mean, I, I was start. I was like, I, you know, by the end of it, I was starting to talk about um, about the gig and sort of. I, I, I was sort of pretty apologetic. Well, not apologetic so much as just baffled. I like said, I, I honestly like, I. This was not the plan. I said, like I was saying, like, I, I did not plan to just uh, stand here and be absolutely bullshit. That was not what I was planning to do, and uh, it was. Did that get a laugh? You know, I got a laugh right at the end. I can't remember what it was. I got a big laugh. Um, I think I started like saying that I, I was not the. No one walked out. I was I was, I was focusing on the fact that no one walked out, and then uh, contextualizing that by saying that I was first on the bill. So 
it would be big it would be a big move to walk out like yeah, yeah. there was a lot of, and uh, people like started laughing yeah and then like people were applauding and I sort of um I sort of ascertained that people were sort of applauding the concept of further acts right, and oh, right, applauding right. the idea that there right. was a future you're getting off me. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a future yeah. <laughs> yeah people started to dream <laughs> of a world people started to dream of a world where I wasn't in front of them and uh I, I mentioned this. I talked about that, and, uh, and there was like a, I, I welcomed back the host, and uh, and there was like a really warm applause. It was almost like um, they kind of thought, "Good try." Oh, gee, he's yeah. uh, good luck to him. You know, good luck to him in, in his next endeavor. And um, during that applause, I came back to the mic because I think I thought of some other wise crack. And uh, so I went. I started approaching the mic, and I think someone heckled then. I was like, I was, I, I was like buffeted back. Like as in that good lad. Well, no, no, that's that's enough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we still yeah. mean that you should go, <laughs> but you go with our best wishes. Oh, that's spectacular! It, it was genuinely, it was genuinely hideous. When I walked on for the final gig and it started badly, it's just very everything becomes very simple in your mind when you sort of have a, a flashback. Yeah, you're having a flashback to yeah. to a traumatic, exactly that situation. A traumatic. It's experience. not. A, it's not a great deal of flashing back you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This was bad yesterday. <laughs> this was bad about sixty minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was right after. Yeah, it was amazing. So you bounced back. Mm. Well, what I did was I had a. The, the next gig was I just wanted to just. Uh, mm. I didn't know how badly I was. You know, it. it uh, you know how deeply it had affected me. So the next <laughs> the one, I, was, I suppose you just aim. Yeah. The next one I aimed like to to uh, get a laugh at some stage. Possibly, or a smile, something. Yeah. But the next gig was nice, and at the end of them, I said, you know, th- thanks for that because I uh, don't know what you did. I didn't know what I was. You know, <laughs> I, if this had gone badly, I don't know what I would have done. And this is back here in London. Oh, this was like you know a small, yeah. nice, intimate. Yeah. You know, nice. You know, if yeah. that goes wrong, then I don't know what I would have done. Right. And then I had another couple that week, and then crucially, I had like a new material night where I just booked a place out with my. Uh, promoter and just did an hour and a half of new stuff all new completely new and that just completely started to get everything moving again oh that's great because what i did in kilkenny was increasingly as i got more confused by the whole thing and more uh drawn into myself and more kind of embattled I, i relied more and more on older stuff and like Oh, that's the worst. It's, it's a funny thing. You just, and, think, and then you I just need your... to get out of this. I need to get through this gig. And then you hate yourself more for doing the older stuff. Yeah, the the, the last gig I did, I opened with uh, what was probably my best uh, poem from uh, three years ago, which it would always kill. Like you know, and I'd always hold it back in the gig, and it would be like <clears throat> ten minutes in, I'd do that and really milk it. it would, uh, did it work? Oh, it was a dreadful start. No, it didn't work. Well, I mean, some people laughed, but. Uh, I also knew I had nowhere to go because it uh, disrupted the whole shape of my act. Yeah. So I. Oh, uh, so you open with your closer, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Well, it's uh, you want to read some? A poem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't mind. Yeah. And for the American audiences, uh, where can they find your stuff mostly? Tim Key, do you have a, uh, a, a you website? Go on my website, timkey.co.uk. Timkey.co.uk. Or there's a website called The Invisible Dot. Okay. Which is uh, that's where you can get my my other book, and I'm, I've got an album which I'm releasing this uh, this month. Oh, great! Yeah, because like I, I find that like you know you're you know you're one of these up and coming interesting uh, 
British acts that, of course, people in my country know nothing about. Do you have any plans to go to the United States? Um, I go to New York a fair bit to. Uh, I sometimes film my poems, and my the the guy I film them with, my director, he lives in New York, so we we shoot a lot in New York. And do you do any stage work there? I I've done like a couple of gigs, not much. Like Where? I did, uh, I did one gig at the um, uh, UCB a couple yeah. of years ago. And yeah. Did How a, was that? You were there. Did it go all right. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then did one at the at comics, and did one with a, a girl called Jessie Klein. Um, yeah, I know Jessie. Gig, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. Um, oh, you did her gig down the village. Um, I don't know where it was. It's like in a bookshop. Yeah, it's in a bookshop, right yeah. over in uh, Little Italy. Uh, There's some Housing Works bookstore. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. She was great. These are playing cards. Yeah, these are playing cards because like I do some when I write my new stuff. I tend to put it on a on playing cards so I can because uh, I read my poems on stage. And so you oh you bring the deck of cards up there. Yeah. Well, oh, is that just a? It's just a. It's just while I kind of work out which ones I'm going to do. Do you mention the cards or do you do a trick or shuffle don't, them? Don't mention the cards. Don't do a trick. Just kind of uh, just throw them down once uh-huh. I've done them. On the floor. Yeah. Oh yeah, on the floor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is a short one. Rosemary Welsh, this is poem 975. Rosemary Welsh, the blind adult film actress, cut herself on some braille, and she had to do her seams left-handed for a week. It's about a prosy, like, well, like a, a porn star. Uh, this one's about um, impulse buying. Scotty got into impulse buying until he only ever bought things by impulse buying. Oftentimes he would buy a v-neck instead of, say, a nectarine, in spite of his hunger. (laughs) On one occasion, his torso a stink owing to a lack of soap. He cycled into town, but bought a Denon amplifier. (laughs) On the day that he starved to death, he bought Viagra and tickets to see the bootleg Beatles off eBay. He did a bit of Viagra last night, that was funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, but very fun. Oh, this one's a bit shorter. Okay, I counted to a hundred and said, "I'm coming," but it was a trick, and she had left me. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, relationship stuff. <laughs> Here's one. Okay. Wear a pair of jeans. She said again, holding up the Wranglers. No, Eva. Oh, go on. Wear the jeans. No, Eva. But I just think, since I've bought the jeans, it'd be nice for me at any rate if I saw you in them. No, Eva! Hitler stormed out. It's about, um... It's a war poem. <laughs> I got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I, got a, picture of, now I got a picture of the Hitler in, in Wranglers. Yeah, it's a good picture to have. It's nice. That's how he would have wanted to be remembered, I suppose. Yeah, sort of an American cowboy image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sat on his Jeep. Yeah. Give another one. Oh, another one? Sure. Okay. Um, hang on. This is kind of a bit more longer and a bit tender. I, I like that. Okay. I'll listen to it in, the, in that way. Okay, so, yeah, if you can look a bit more earnest, even. That's it. The most beautiful girl in the world, in brackets, a Chinese girl. 
works at a toll booth on a motorway. In brackets, in Sichuan province. Several thousand modelling agents have been through and paid the toll in the last five years. In brackets, while she's been working there. But never through her booth. So she's never been spotted. It's quite a sad one. And as the years go by, so her eyes become dull and her allure diminishes. It is almost too late. The skin on her hands is toughening. Her hair is becoming coarse. That's sad. That is sad. It's quite sad. Yeah. I, I, I do that. I've just started doing that one. And it's uh, that's exactly the reaction it's always got. And I don't ever know whether people are thinking, all right, next. Or whether they're thinking, that's sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many of those kind of poems do you do in the act where... where it, 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 one. <laughs> What where, where there where it's not it's, where there's nothing discernibly funny? Yeah, um, but not in an absurd way. Of, any, of a, anything in, like of anything of any length, I would only do that once. But you, I'll often your, have like one or two little ones that you know you just think I don't know that's kind of peculiar. But a peculiar is okay because that can still be funny. Yeah, but that's a little sad. Yeah, that's a little sad. Like, and I, how do you come off of that to get the laugh? Uh, do you say? Do you sort of play it like that? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I kind of like would. I don't know how actually. I've only done it a few times. I suppose I would. Um, I, I, yeah, I'd usually I'd usually eke a laugh out of them somehow. Afterwards. Yeah, by saying like, oh, yeah. maybe that's not yeah. funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like My that. whole act is just doing a poem and then saying, yeah. oh, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's working out for you, man. Yeah, it's all right. It's yeah. uh, it's, it's it's interesting to see you in the context of uh, just having met you that once in Kilkenny. Yeah, yeah. Now we uh, now we know each other a little better. Yeah. And ha- and had I known you were so uh, shell shocked and war torn, I I dread to think what I'd have done if oh, it had yeah. been an extra day. I I don't know where I don't know where I would have gone after that. Yeah, people would be like, "You're that guy." Yeah. I heard of you. <laughs> yeah. You're that guy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, it was good talking to you, man. Yeah, good talking to you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, my guest is uh, uh, Adam Bloom, who is a, a British comedian. And you're, you're from Britain the whole time? Yeah. You yeah. grew up here? I grew up in London, yeah. Yeah? And you're... See, I'm kind of curious about Jews... <laughs> I'm well, curious I, about Jews in London. I'm as un-Jewish as a Jew can be. My mother's not Jewish. So? And yeah. my parents got divorced when I was five. You yeah. can probably tell that by my face. Uh-huh. And I they... Can. And they... Um, I live with my mum, so I've had the non-Jewish side of my family bring me up. Oh, okay. But so, I've still had the shtick. I've still been around the shtick, but I haven't had the culture so much. Are you saying you don't like Jews as, <laughs> a, as, a, as a half Jew? No, they don't like my mum. <laughs> <laughs> but you, are you close with your father? Yes, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. The weird thing about me is that, like, I, I don't, I know culturally that Jews are a certain, you know, people have a certain idea of what Jews are like in the States, you know, but here I, I don't, I can't even, I don't know much about British culture. Well, Jewish, Jewish culture is a very, 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 very small dot in, right. in the population of the in country. In the world. <laughs> no, no, really? but, no, but in New <laughs> yeah. York, you can feel the Jewishness, can't you? Right, in New yeah. York. Are sure. you from New York, by the way? No. We, for the people listening, we, we met two minutes ago. Yeah. Literally. Um, 
all I know is you're a comedian and I like what you do from the clips I saw this morning. And that's sure. it. And that's what's quite nice about this meeting. It's well, yeah. like a first date and it's a little bit awkward. And, and, but it's not awkward. You know what I mean, though? It's yeah. Got, it's got the... Uh, I was walking out. It felt slightly like I was going on a first date or visiting a prostitute or sure, something. Sure, sure. Well, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I, <laughs> uh, but maybe we could have a conversation. Okay, well, take the miniskirt off. <laughs> You're giving out a wrong message here. I'm sorry. Let me change. <laughs> so, um... But no, but Jewishness, you go to New York and you just, New York to me feels yeah. Jewish. Yeah. People have got a Jewishness about them. That's, yeah. The Jewish culture is sort of rubbed off on everybody else. Yeah. And in London, you know, there are, there are so few Jewish people in, in England, at least. I mean, most of them in London, some are in Leeds. Yeah. And the rest are dotted around individually around the rest of the country. You'd hardly notice them. Because they're afraid to talk. <laughs> they don't stop. That's <laughs> why they've been dotted about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's very. Um, so I, I. I always feel like if I was, uh, if I'd grown up in New York with my Jewish dad, uh, that he's I, in New York. No, 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 no. But uh, no, hypothetically, sorry, right. no, he's from London. But but I would be absorbed in Jewish culture. I've been completely removed from it. I almost feel like I. I've got to make some kind of. You know, uh, what's the word? Pilgrimage back to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you want, but you're not. You're not held to it because your mother's not Jewish. No, so I'm there's not held no. At all. Yeah. There's no. Uh, no reason. No. The guilt's built in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's built in through. Uh, usually. Yeah. I mean. Well, they must not. Uh, it must be difficult. Yeah. Brothers and sisters. I got my older sister. Oh, all right. Yeah. So I watched some of your stuff, and uh, you're very funny. You're very intense. You're manic. Right. Yeah. You got good jokes. Thank you. You seem very popular. Do you have a big following here? No. Uh, I've had I had a burst of success. I've been doing this 16 years, and I had a burst of success. Isn't that interesting? Because like I saw some early clips. It's funny on the internet. Uh, nothing ever goes away. No. And then there's like recent ones. Right, and then right. it's like, oh, look. He's uh, grown up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the time, the bleached hair stuff. Yeah. What happened to me without giving you a sob story was That's I right. kind of exploded. Sob stories are good. Well, okay. I exploded onto the scene as in first gig to pe to making a living in a year yeah, and a half yeah, yeah. and then up to regular television four years in yeah and as a 27 year old who's bursting with ideas the industry went mad for me yeah and that fizzled out yeah and now i've plateaued yeah and i've got now is i haven't got a huge volume but what i've got is i'm in a quite an interesting situation because i get recognized probably three or four times a day yeah sort of you know on average and these are people who've probably seen me on tv years ago sure so they go hey are you um you're a comedian aren't you right. it's not so much adam bloom which is what it was 10 years ago so right. i'm slightly living in the shadow of my own of yourself success yeah, yeah which is of your successful yeah, yeah, self yeah but i put on weight which makes it harder to hide in that shadow yeah i think that's the first indication that your success wasn't as big as uh, uh as I thought it was <laughs> well, oh no no it was probably plenty big right. but like because i had the same thing it's like you're that guy right okay like if if you're if if at this point they were going you're adam bloom right. then that fucking success well you've plowed yourself into their gotcha. heads and they'll never forget you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i think fuckers I, yeah no sure but i think i learned from that is that you, you know, you have to keep hitting them regularly. You know, I mean, you know, the day after I had a sort of uh, half-hour special on TV, you know, it was everywhere I went. Yeah. And then two months later, it was, you know, a few times a day. But they remembered my name. But, of course, 10 years later, why should they remember my name? So what happens is, of course, a face on a poster yeah. sells tickets because people recognize that's that that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, you know, if I had adverts saying Adam Bloom with no picture, that yeah. would be a harder thing to sell tickets with. So I still have... You know, I've still cashed in on that of course, success. Of course, but um, but I'm not building on it. Right. I don't know what it takes. You know, sometimes you know, I've I've thought about that myself in okay. terms of of like you can't make people like you. 
You can't make people remember you. All you can do is do what you do, and if they come, they come. Maybe being you and I may fall into the slightly cursed compliment of comic comic, possibly. A little bit of that. Okay. So therefore, you know, the people who fully realize how good what we're doing is are people who don't make the decisions. That's true. Or, or, or they're the people that say like, uh, wow, you're really great, but we just don't know what to do with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So what the, what yeah. do you see yourself doing? So uh, how, how long have you been married? One and a half years. And you just went right into the baby thing? No, uh, five months later. You were with her for how long? I was uh, seven years yesterday, by the way. Oh, so you waited about six years to get Wait, married? Yeah. We waited, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and you had the baby, and you're how old? 39. Okay, well that's good. I mean, I, I, see, I were you? Uh, did you find yourself? Were you a heavy-hearted, bitter man before you had a child? I mean, no, no, when, no, no. I've, I've, I've got, I've got a few issues. I've got a few issues, right? And I've got a, uh, a, a, you know, there's another side to me that sometimes can pop up. I've got a quite a short temper. Um, me too. I have an anger problem. We call it. I had a, I, my, 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 my 2000 Edema show, 2007 Edema yeah. show, was about anger management. It was the crux of it. I don't like comedy that happens from funny things. I like anger management. Anger ruined my marriage. Oh really? Yeah, sure. And I, you know, I mean, don't don't get too sad. Uh, but like, I talk about it a lot. But I didn't. You went to anger management. Uh, we needed. We didn't get there. We had, we had a row on the phone. We never even got to the session. Who? I, me and the anger management guy. No. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> I rang. This was this was the crux of a whole Edinburgh show. Yeah. 2007. And I don't like comedy that is based on a funny story where it just happened. You know, if an old lady slips on a banana lands in a dustbin, that's a funny thing to see, funny thing to tell your friends out in the pub. I hate comedy that's based on and the funny thing happened. You know no, what I mean? But if you tripped her, then you'd have to explain <laughs> it. So. If I tripped her, at least I put some input into why right. the comedy happened. Yeah, yeah good yeah, point. Yeah. But I'm, I, uh, and I will allow that. I will, but I don't <laughs> like, I just, I just don't like, you know, oh, I saw this funny thing the other day. Really? What, you, you, you were, you're an accountant, then you saw an old lady slip on a banana, and now you're qualified to be a comedian. Oh, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, but the, um, the, uh, what happened so this this contradicts my theory this is the exception that proves the rule in everything i've done in comedy i went to see uh an anger management guy and he he rang me back i left the message he rang me back i saw, found him on the internet and he rang me back and we spoke and we arranged a meeting but he said here's the address to send a check to yeah i want you to uh send a check by tomorrow i will uh send you a text with the address of where your meeting is uh, but please make sure the check is sent by two days' time, the latest, otherwise the appointment will be cancelled. Now, what happened was the two days went by and he never sent the text. And I thought, well, I'm not sending a check for an appointment. I don't even know where the address is. So he created a bit of a no-win situation. So I sent him a text and look, I don't feel comfortable sending a check, not knowing where the address is. I never see the text, uh, so I'm cancelling the appointment. Now, the truth of the matter is there were gut reactions going on here. As I spoke to him on the phone, he, he bigged up um, where the the beautiful uh, place that it, the uh, meeting was going to be at. I thought self-promotion is never good. You know, go, this uh, this is a wonderful place. You're coming to a wonderful place. Yeah, you yeah, own yeah. the place. Yeah. You're going to say it's wonderful. Yeah. So you're already, that's already the sign of something just already slightly iffy. There were other things I can't even remember, but you know when your gut's telling you something's oh, yeah. wrong, you talk yeah. to a con man and you're going, mm, it doesn't, you know, something's oh, yeah, wrong yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Well, these gut reactions are far more important than than you know, th lock, yeah, lock usually they're right, yeah, yes, because it's your subconscious telling your yeah, stomach yeah, yeah, yeah. to tense up, right? Right? So, I had these things going on, 
but then so what it was was partly an excuse to kind of get, get out of the meeting but the other thing was you don't tell people to send checks and then not send them addresses and also you forgot to send me an address the, why can't you send me an address there and then anyway right yeah because if, if, if you didn't get the money you could just say when I got there we didn't get your money yeah 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 exactly it, it just seemed shady it's shady right and, and at the very best I'm professional right. at the very best yeah so I got a voicemail saying um, hi you know I'm, I'm uh just up to say that I thought your your excuse was feeble and weak. You could have rung me, you could have emailed me, and I just think you're um, you're a complete waste of time. And I'm glad I'm not working with you. Goodbye. And I hung up. That was the anger management guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got he got angry. So um, so yeah. So that was it. He so just can't practice what he preaches. Yeah, yeah. So so the idea of me having me, you know, the, when I described to you before, it sounds like the problem's me. Yeah. But I stumbled across a very very dodgy bloke who who uh, I, I did some research on. He wasn't as qualified as he claimed to be. Uh-huh. Um, he created. A company called the British Association of Anger Management was actually uh, him. You can call yourself the British Association of Anger. Sure, call yourself whatever you want. Isn't that worrying? No, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, no, of course, it's, yeah, of course, it's worrying. The other thing is, as well, that the but website who's to stop him. <laughs> no, but the, uh, the British Association of Stoppers. Um, uh, <laughs> and what he, what he had was a, a picture of a woman, an attractive girl, pulling an angry face and holding a fist, and it had British Association. And my instinct, first time, first moment, was. That doesn't look like an official British company. British companies don't have pretty bold punching fists. It just yeah. looked a bit like it would almost be bad taste of a British association sure. to like show a satire. A, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it looks yeah. Look like a parody. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just didn't. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it, it didn't go. So it, those little gut reactions. I've got to trust those gut reactions more because yeah, I do too. Because okay? like it, usually they're right. Yeah. So what ultimately happened? Well, I did an Edinburgh show. I then went, so I finally realized I had to go and see someone about it. Da, 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 played the voice message. And, and uh, you know, it was great playing the message. Sure, and yeah. The other thing is he can't sue me. You know why? Why? It's a, it's a recording he knowingly gave me. Oh, really? Yeah. That's did you look into that? Yes. Or did he try to no, sue No, I looked into it. No, he, he doesn't even know you did no. it, does he? No. Oh, yeah. I wrote to him. Oh. I said, I'm doing an Edinburgh show about you. I'm letting you know this so that you don't, it doesn't creep up on you. And um, well, that was pretty uh, decent. Yeah. Well, I told Ed Byrne. Do you know Ed Byrne? Sure. And he said to me, yeah, but you and I both know. He's a very old friend. He went, you and I both know that that was also you just letting him know that it's happening. So yeah, I had to go, yeah, yeah, you're That right. was also a fuck you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was. But he wrote a really angry, threatening letter back at me with word sentences in capitals, oh, which, yeah. you know, which could yeah. just be a result of him dribbling on, dribbling on the caps lock key. Do you know no, what I mean? No, no, no. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, the, the, the irony here is just... Uh, delicious yeah. there's a there's a man whose job is to control people's tempers he pressed send yeah. the beautiful thing about emails is you can't go over them before you send them yeah. he happily boom <laughs> you can say boom yeah. that's also the dangerous thing about I've got a bit about that the dangerous thing about a send button is that you don't have to say you know you can prepare the whole thing and go oh I don't want to say this yeah you know yeah. what I mean it's yeah. that one second yeah. if you prepared a sentence to me in an argument yeah. in your mind and yeah. you just press send yeah. it would be easier to say something horrible so contradictory it's, it, it kind of you know it makes it easier because you can take your time on a letter sure but it also makes it easier to say something horrible because you only have to press one button to get it out don't you right but you know there's always that thing where people are like you know just you know, that's one of those ones you don't send you know that I mean that's that's the yeah, whole yeah, weird. Yeah. That's the thing about like I've sent emails like that where you know the rage is right there and you see you feel so righteous. Right. But the weird thing about anger and and I think this is the only lesson anyone has to learn about it, and I don't know that I've learned it is that just just give it and take a few breaths, 
give it a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk, take a walk around the block. Yeah, yeah. Like, because when I hear people tell me that, because I have it, you know, like, and I'm in a new relationship and, and I fly off the handle over nothing just to get a reaction, to get someone upset because okay. I'm upset. But literally, that thing where if you're a pride, you know, if you're a prideful person, and people are like, just sit down and take a breath, go in the other room. Like, Fuck you! <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> We're doing this now. That happened to me last week. <laughs> we did. Yeah, my wife slipped me outside. <laughs> <laughs> did you go? Yes. Oh, good for you. Yes. So, Adam Bloom, it was a good conversation. Do you feel better? Yes, I do feel better. You've reminded me that I love comedy. Ah. Uh, then I've done my job. Oh, thanks. For the, thanks. For, we're off to have lunch now. Bye. So you got a little food in your beard, Reggie Watts. Yeah. How are you, man? Have you had coffee? Are you uh, awake? You in it? You can just talk into that mic like it's a stand-up mic. Hi, how are yeah, you? Yeah, that's perfect. All right, great. So what the fuck, man? England. I know, England. Land and, of Ingles. And you're hanging out with uh, Brian Eno. I was yesterday, yeah. And I will tonight, too. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah, yeah. He's having a singing. He has this singing thing where people come by and uh, sing like standards and other sheet music like stuff. But what was it like hanging out with Brian Eno? What'd you do yesterday? He's, he's the shit. I've I've known him for a while. I've known him for like five years now, and um, this is the first time I've been to his studio. I've always seen him in festival settings. Yeah, but um, it was great, man. I mean, essentially, it's so weird because I never really knew him. I didn't know him as um, you know, as fans know him. Yeah, I I, I knew of him and I knew that he produced you too. But like that was it. That was kind of it. Oh, so wow. for me, it's like. Getting to know him was more like being like just getting to know a friend. Oh, you know? that's amazing. So, so it was nice. So, like being in the studio, I I don't have that preloaded like, oh my god, he's done this and this. Right, and this. right, right. It's more like I have a little bit of a sense of that, but most of it, most of it was just me watching him work in the studio and him just going like, well, let's try this, Reggie. It, uh, hook up your thing here, and you know, and um, we just kind of fucked around. I mean, did we, you make any good sounds? Oh yeah, definitely. We did this like. Probably like a ten, twelve, well, like a twelve-minute jam where I had the microphone going through my loop, my delay machine, and then he was—he had that routed through his own effects, so he yeah. was affecting my performance while, and so, and then I was like putting the microphone on guitar strings and like doing weird noises, and he was like messing with the effects, and he was recording the whole performance, and essentially that's what Brian does—he just does jam sessions takes bits and pieces of things and then he just stores them and then he might use them for something in the future. That's wild. It must be the, the benefit of, of having a billion dollars from being the most incredible music producer on the planet to just hang out and have people over to make noise. Oh my God. Yeah. The freedom of that. I mean, it is freedom, but you know, the weird thing is like, you can't, he's such a normal, not a normal guy. But he's very calm, and like you don't get that from him. You don't. You don't feel that. Oh sure, no, I, I'm know, not. That's I, what's so. But but some people like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not belittling his talent. I'm a huge fan. Oh but no, it's just, no, it's just it's uh it's enviable to have the freedom to hang out. That's true. No, absolutely. And but I think he does it in such great style. Now, how many times have you been here? To the London or yeah, to, England? to England in general. Um, I have been here probably one, two. I don't know, probably like seven times or so, maybe. 
over the last what five years? Over the last five years. Now I, I don't know if people know Reggie Watts, but he is uh, he's sort of you've been on the periphery of the comedy scene in New York because what you do is is really a musical performance. Yeah, but it's very funny. Yeah. I mean, I think that through what threads it along and makes it uh, such a makes it different is that it, it is comedy to a degree yeah but it's really a musical performance yeah and it's pretty deep and you use a lot of machines uh -huh. and you use your voice and uh -huh. things are looped around for as long as i've known you that was really the first time i saw a, a long set right I and know. yeah you're to me you were just that guy with the hair yeah there's yeah, a guy yeah. with the hair what does he do i know i and, know and for years everyone's been saying like <laughs> reggie watts is a genius you got to go see reggie and i'm such a fucking douchebag because in my mind it's like well he does music comedy right i don't like music comedy right and then i went and saw you and it's very uh, moving it's very it's a big production yeah but but it's all stream Thanks. of consciousness yeah man i mean you know the gig that you saw i was like it took me a while to get rolling i was so tired but like but yeah i mean essentially what it is is uh you know i go out there and i just start talking about shit i mean basically it's it's very simple it's like i call, I call it bullshit music bullshit music bullshit music it's essentially it's just me going out having some idea in my head kind of I go out and I just start talking, and then at a certain point I'm like, "Well, I should do a song," and then I do a song, and then I go back to talking. But it's not just a song. There, you know, you <coughs> you do sound loops with your voice and and other elements. So, yeah. it, in a sense, that every every performance, even if you're using similar musical themes, right. is different. That is correct. Yeah, like it's not even if you have songs, the way you're going to do them on any given night, not just musically, but in terms of texture, are different because of the way you use the machinery. That's absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's totally true. Yeah, I mean that's funny you picked up on that, and I love no one's ever really picked up on that. But if they're if I'm using a similar template, yeah, I fill it with different things. Right. You know, if I'm like, oh, it's this this kind of a groove, you know? right? And then it, but it's a totally different song. It's just interesting to me that you know because I'm not. You know, I've listened to to that type of music in terms of using technology like that, but not not in hip hop really. And I've never been you know, in the sense of uh, you know sampling or even you know I'm sort of a purist when it comes to music. But but when you use you know when you see it happen in real time, when you yeah. use your vocals and then you create musical rhythms with your with your hands or your mouth or whatever sounds are going on, and then loop them into a a, a, a layered thing. It's it's very interesting and it has its own organic nature even though it's looped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know because it's it's really it's really at the whim of chaos. I mean, right. like sometimes isn't it all? Well, it is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is. Although some things look less so than others. Sure. Well, I mean, I think part of performing is about managing chaos. That's right. Yeah, I I agree with that. I always see it that way. People see it inverse, uh -huh. you know, but I I tend to see it that way. Like you're surfing Chaos right. doesn't matter how much written material you have or how improvised you are. Essentially, that's what you're always doing. Right, so I, I think so. So now, in terms of performing over here, uh, what are the differences? Because I know in New York, I mean, you're building a following, you're doing well, people are starting to know who you are. But what, do you find what's the difference in performing for the Brits? <laughs> well, I, for me, I, I use an English accent a lot when I perform, even when I'm in the States. Cause just for fun? Just for fun. Yeah. I don't really know why I do it. Because um, well, you like to fuck with people's heads. Okay, there's that. But uh, that that little thing. Yeah. But, but, I mean, the great thing is is I get to use the accent. Well, I remember the first time I came over, I was really nervous. Because yeah. I, I kind of like, it's not that I'm like going, oh, no, now I'm going to speak in an English accent. It just kind of naturally happens because yeah. it's my default accent. 
But um, so when I did it, I was like, oh no, they're gonna they're gonna find me out. They're gonna hate me, and everyone thought I was British. So, so, so you pulled it off. So I got lucky. I was like, okay, good. Um, you know, not. I mean, if you, you held were, it for the whole show. Well, for I mean, in the my first time I came over, yeah. But like this show, I switch accents. You know, I noticed like, I'll, that. I'll, yeah, I like doing that. But um, but that helped a lot. And then I just love the humor, man. The sense of humor that Brits have is just like their great their greatest shows, like their greatest exports. Um, are so fucking brilliantly funny. Like, because they're so good at dry, 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 hyper-cutting, sarcastic humor. Yeah. And it's so absurd and silly, but, like, right on the nose. Yeah. You know? And um, so I'm a big fan of their comedy. So right. when I come over, like, I can, I employ some of the some of the cadences or some of the timing and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Well, it's like, you know, when you're telling a joke, usually in the U.S., it's a little bit more... It's a little bit more open in a way. Like um, it's still all about timing, right? But um, but the Brits have a very specific cadence. You know, like every English-speaking country kind of does. Where you know, like that's why we don't do the things that we should. Yeah. But it's yeah. up to you know, like yeah, there's yeah, this yeah. cadence yeah, that they yeah, that they yeah, use, yeah. and they respond to it. And so um, you know, and I'm a I've I've been watching this since I was a little kid on PBS, like British programming. So that's really ingrained in my my head so you actually you know try to talk in the same rhythm that they speak yeah in order to be understood yeah yeah i mean you know and it's not necessarily like i mean they still get like if i was speaking like a hip-hop dude or whatever and i was talking but that's like, a universal language people get it yeah, yeah. They, they get it. i mean essentially they'll get anything i mean you can i mean there's plenty of comics that come over here that have really thick like um you know, like a, there's this Dutch guy. You know, he has a really thick Dutch accent, and they're still laughing because yeah. he still sets up his punchlines. But that's interesting as a musician that you pick up on the rhythms by which. Uh, <laughs> not, I mean, because like music is 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 sort of uh, beyond boundaries. It doesn't, you know, unless you're playing something specifically indigenous to a certain country. It, you know, it's something everybody can be sort of enchanted by. Whereas you know, speaking is different. Right. But this is the same language, but you pick up on the rhythm of that and yeah. you use it. Yeah, that's fucking cheating. <laughs> I know it's like it's like mimicking. You know, like those uh, what are those birds yeah. called? Those mimicking birds? Those that can minor like, birds. Yeah, minor birds. Yeah. Like they can make any sound. Yeah. It's almost kind of like that. So it's almost like as a kid, I heard. So that's why sometimes I go into gibberish language and people think it's a real language. Oh, really? Because the cadence sounds like, and the syllables sure, sound. Like you're saying something. Yeah, it sounds like I'm saying something. They're like, oh, and I'll throw in like an actual Spanish word once in a while. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, he's speaking Spanish. Some dialect. Yeah. And, people, and I'm like, no, no, that's not a real language. So, but like, okay, so did you. Uh, where did you train for this music thing? Where did this come from? Where are you from musically? <laughs> Well, I'm, in life. Well, I, I grew up in Montana. My my parents got me into piano lessons because I guess I was really big into Ray Charles when I was a little kid, like yeah. three, like about three or four or something like that. I was just listening to his uh, country album. That isn't that crazy. Yeah, him and Charlie Pride. Yeah, um, so interesting. And um, Commodores have a song. Well, that whole album to me was like uh, it seemed like a very classy fuck you. Yeah, that's right. It's like <laughs> it's like. Deal with this. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. also do this. You are my sunshine. I'll show you how that's done. <laughs> people are like, uh, I wonder how people were. Well, yeah, because if they didn't know it was him mm -hmm. and they just heard the song Cold, I bet you they would have loved it. Yep. And then they were like, oh, a black dude did this. So, okay, so you're in Montana. You're yeah. digging Ray Charles. Yeah. Your mom gets, sets you up with a piano lesson. Yep. Yeah. And that's what started it. Yeah, I mean, I started playing piano when I was around, I think, f I think five technically, but um, I was messing around when I was four, 
and uh, yeah, that's where that came from. And I was just all I just always loved music as a kid, always. That, now I guess the question that's been asked me, but I'm not a musician, so it's a sadder question when directed at me. Why comedy? Why did you choose to gravitate towards that world? You know, I, I remember. Uh, I'm sure I had moments before this, but one of my most uh, memorable. I can't stop laughing. This is so hilarious. Moments was the Muppet Show. Yeah, when they would have those Muppet news flashes, and it would be that weird reporter dude with the big, like the big, very pointy nose and the glasses, uh-huh. and uh, he'd start reported. It was reporting, and I just remember him saying like. Uh, there are reports of an unidentified uh, uh, unidentified objects falling to earth, and so he doesn't even finish it. And this gigantic bell, like a huge right, right, yeah, bell, yeah, just crashes on his head. Yeah, and that's it. And then it cuts to another thing, and for some reason, that became the most hilarious thing in the universe for me. And I've always seen things. I always love silly things, like really silly things. And then, you know, I remember first seeing Monty Python, you know, and I thought it was a medieval movie on PBS because they're doing a marathon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the Holy Grail. And yeah. I thought it was a medieval movie because you don't, all you see is the hill in the beginning. Yeah. And you hear the horse coming. I'm like, oh, this is great. I love knights. And like, I, I was always fascinated with old stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, over the hill comes the dude with the coconuts. And yeah, then the yeah, guy, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. traipsing like he's riding on a I horse. I remember that. And I just lost it. And yeah. that, like that. So those moments of silliness, and then when I was on the playground, I loved music, and uh, kids used to, I used to pretend I was a radio, Yeah. and kids, and I had like these little cords sticking out of the belt, and my friends would pull on the cords, and I would change radio stations, oh, and I would, I would sing other songs. That was your early work. That was my early work. Yeah, that was that, my green period. It's, it's very nice <laughs> that, uh, that it's completely al- aligned with what you do now. I know. It, 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 that's what I tell people. It really hasn't changed. Like all my friends who like look at videos from Great Falls that still live there, they'll be like... You're doing the same exact shit that you did in high school. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Now, have you toured over here in Europe and Britain? And, and, and is it something that you're going to start doing more? I mean, I, How's did, it, you, I mean, you had like 400 people in there the other night, right? Yeah, yeah, around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and in a theater that holds more than that, you're always like, oh, I wish it was full. But it's fine. I, I mean, that's the plan, I think. The plan is to... Uh, is to come back and do more like a UK proper tour. I've done like, I've done like Bristol and then gone to Brighton and then done a gig. One show? Yeah, just one show. It was like one offs. What sides rooms? Um, you know, like one eighty to yeah two fifty, uh-huh. something like that. Uh-huh. Sometimes opening for people. You uh-huh. know, um, I've opened with a Beardy Man has a thing that he does called Beardy Man's uh, Complete and Outer Shambles. He's another beatboxer guy. It's really funny. Is that what you call what you do? I guess. I don't really... I mean, people call me a beatboxer, but I'm not really a beatboxer. I would say I'm a a vocal... Uh, a, a live vocal composer or compositionist or something. But it's more like... I, I'm I'm not even using any of the techniques that beatboxers use, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, everything that I've generated, like all the, my techniques are all just me. It's my version of um, like Bobby McFerrin slash Fat Boys slash... Um, Michael Winslow from Police Academy. Sure, I know him. He's a comedian. Yeah, and he's a comedian too. I've have seen him, and he's he's funny, super hyper hyper. What noises? I mean, it's very specific. It's very specific. It's more like here's a routine yeah. based around these, you know, th- and um, you know, because I think you're fundamentally uh, an entertainer, but yes. you're a musician. Yeah, I mean, there's like, you know, if you were to take the template that you use as a performing model, it's it's a uh, it's really a, a, a cabaret act almost. Yeah, it is. It's like a one-person. It's kind of like a one-person show, but I never really... 
I think the difference. I, I was thinking about this, but it's sort of like you come out, you schmooze, and then yes. it's like let's do a song. Yeah, that's and true. And then you do a little doobop, you know, a little goofy shit, and then that's like let's true. do a song. That's true. So it's all, it's all, it's really structurally almost Vegas. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, <laughs> you're right. But it's just like it's kind of like a shittier version of Vegas, though, because it's, it's like a, a thought is never really completed. You know, do you ever think about doing Vegas? You know, who knows, man? I think that's a little bit too big for me. I, you know, I thrive. I the thing I notice is like. I thrive better in like more kind of quasi like theater or like kind of artistic. Places. Well, you like to be, uh, you know, you take the risk of being inconsistent because you, you never can be given that, you know, you can go to the, you can go to the keyboard, you can go to the loop machine or what, That's it, right. what do you call that? A loop uh, it's a yeah, loop machine. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, so, so I think that like when you do something that requires consistency, yeah. which means like, all right, what's your monologue? How long is that going to run? Yeah. You know, what's the second act or whatever? Uh, then that would probably drive you crazy. Oh, totally drive me crazy. I, that's I mean that's why the act is the way it is. Right. Because it's that's that's how I function mm. on stage. You like the the feeling of improvisation. Yeah. yeah I mean I, I love it. I mean I I mean it's not like I can't perform with other people. You know, like some people think like, well, this guy, you know, we shouldn't have this guy. Yeah. But like, but oftentimes I'll be with other people and. Uh, I mean, it's like playing in a band. It's no different. Right. You know, you just you listen to each other and then you make a, a collective statement as opposed to a singular statement. Like with Brian Eno, you weren't saying, uh, I got this. Yeah, totally. Uh, thanks, Brian. Brian. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Turn your toy off. <laughs> I'm working with mine right now. Yeah. I've got enough effects on this thing. No, but no, not at all. I love I love working with other people. You know, it's... it's well, that's a musician thing, I think. It is, Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing that saves me. It's like I think if I was just hyper solo focused, I think I would go crazy because like you just you're not social. Now, what's this thing you you posted on Twitter the other day of some girl doing your song on YouTube? Not in a in a, in a cute way. Oh but. yeah, no, that was we- that was so weird, man. Yeah, my um my booking agent Andrew, um, yeah. he uh, sent me an email with that link, and when I looked at it, it only had one view. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And so, like, he totally caught it right when it was up. And so, I posted something on there, and I was like, you know, something like, yeah, you're feeling it or something like that. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like, just this little girl doing your a, song? It's a little girl doing fuck shit stack. That's your song. That's my song. Fuck shit what? Fuck shit stack. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's in her bedroom, you know, classic YouTube, in her bedroom, obviously in front of her computer. Yeah. And, like, not really rapping to yeah. the beat yeah. at all so it's like completely out of sync with the beat and there's tons of reverb on her voice yeah. it's yeah, a really yeah. weird video i i've seen it a couple times first time it was hard for me to watch second time i kind of got into it a little bit more third time i was like oh i, I kind of like this because <laughs> it's so weird she doesn't do the whole song she only does it up to the chorus oh it's funny it's pretty pretty funny man. well maybe we should uh we should go out with that song here it's good yeah. talking to you reggie oh man absolute pleasure Thanks, Mark. You take some fuck, then some shit, then some fuck, then some shit. You got a fuck shit stack, a fuck shit stack. Take some fuck, then some shit, then some fuck, then some shit. You got a fuck shit stack, a fuck shit stack. Okay, that's it. That is the rest of the London stuff. I, I hope you enjoyed that. Please go to WTFPod.com. Get on the mailing list, will you? I'm putting some effort into that. Send us a few bucks if you can. Could you? I'd love to I'd love to have your, your money to support our, our cause here because we want to keep this for free. We want everyone to have it, and we'd like you to, to donate what you can. And please go to uh, the WTFPodshop.com. We've got two premium episodes up there. Very funny. There's one where Morgan Murphy says some pretty uh, racy, risque, and embarrassing stuff about me. And then there's another one where me and Michael Ian Black get into a fight. 
Uh, go to punchlinemagazine.com because he's good to us. I'm good to him. Justcoffee.coop, available at WTFPod.com or justcoffee.coop. Get the WTF blend, and I get a little bit of money. little bit, 10% a bag. You buy a bag of that stuff, I get 10%. What else do I have to tell you? Our next show is going to be our 100th show. I cannot believe it's happened. I cannot believe we've done 100 shows. It's hard for me to believe I have 100 friends, but I do. And I've got a lot of more friends in you guys. So thanks for listening. I've got thousands of friends. Thousands of people really know me really well. Probably better than I know myself. Thank you for that. I'll talk to you later. Later.